0: Welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine.
1: Okay, so today's discussion I think is a very interesting discussion, and I think it's incredibly informative for families that are looking for, and I'm gonna put in quotes, I know people can't see my air quotes, but I'm putting my hands up and doing quotes, treatment. We're gonna talk a little bit about treatment, but I wanna also expand on this. We're really talking about like what allies in recovery, what our definition is of treatment, but also recovery looking at it from like a recovery or the recovery journey process. So yes, traditionally people think or family members often think that treatment is a 30-day inpatient program. That's it, that's treatment and not much more. But here at Allies in Recovery, we see treatment as a much wider, broader, expanded process or journey that an individual goes through, through their recovery. Is that a good definition? You think that's a good definition?
2: Yes, and I'm gonna jump in here for a second, which is that there's a lot of people out there that I think believe recovery is the hard stop. That whatever you're using, you just stop and you stay stopped and that's recovery. And so what we do at Allies, our perception at Allies is that it's a progression. Really what I see, my belief system is progress and that you go from this completely falling apart, dysfunctional life to adding pieces in that actually help you create a life. To me, that's the treatment model that I now work with, which is that you've lost everything. And then as we progress in this journey of recovery, that you're putting pieces back in that allow you to have a life, allow you to feel good about yourself, allow you to find meaning, allow you to have connection, and that any part of that journey is is valid, essential, necessary, and that we don't judge it as not being good enough because you haven't stopped doing everything that, that you've been doing.
0: Yeah, I think the federal term for it would be pre-treatment. What Allies in Recovery does is this huge, long process prior to What folks consider a treatment episode, which often is residential and then sober living. And then, you know, obviously what we want for people, if they need it, they absolutely need, especially if your loved one is homeless, sober living, transitional living, long-term six, nine months. That's the very tail end of things for us. For us, treatment starts with a heart to heart, with the ability of breaking down barriers between you and your loved one significantly enough. That you end up in this honest conversation and you're talking and your loved one says like like the example Lori was giving when we were talking take me to the methadone clinic and that just came out of nowhere this person hasn't shown any interest or motivation whatsoever everything been butting heads with the parents and out of nowhere this came and things are getting hard on him and his parents are doing craft so they're opening and creating space and hopefully focusing on other things i mean they had a restraining order on this person so it's they've moved a lot to having this person back home and showing that they're still really open and willing to to do everything they can and to turn it to the positive And that's what got this young person to make that statement to them, drive me to the methadone clinic.
1: I see it as a multi-pronged approach. A lot of family members, and trust me, I totally understand. I used to be of that belief that the only option with addiction was to send my loved one to some residential treatment. And back when I first started on my journey, residential treatment meant my loved one was going to go away for like a year. And then he would come back, things would have been worked through and all would be good. And quickly, my idea and my understanding of treatment changed drastically because if you can get 30 days in a residential treatment, you're doing good. And if you get 30 days in a residential treatment, oftentimes you're paying for it out of pocket and it's a huge expense. Recovery homes are not what people think they are family members often think, oh, it's going to be this incredibly structured home and they're going to follow my loved one around. And it's, it's this medically based kind of thing where there's doctors and nurses and, and it is not, it is far from that. And also transitional housing and transitional programs or step-down programs, not what you think, right? And you quickly find this out. But now my whole view, having had to navigate the system multiple times with my loved one, my idea and my understanding of treatment and how it's related to recovery is totally different. It's totally different. And I think that oftentimes when we have this very narrow view of these definitions of these words of like what treatment is and what recovery is, we can get lost in how to pull it off and how to navigate. So in other words, like, and this was a this was a while ago, but I was working with a family. This is not through allies, but I had a mom who kept saying, well, but shouldn't he go into treatment? Shouldn't he go into a 30-day residential treatment? And he had asked if he could go to the methadone clinic, as Dominique had said. He had asked if he could go into this, methadone clinic and if she would take him to the methadone clinic and she was really upset because he had actually taken her somewhere else to go and buy substances and she was really really upset and didn't know what to do she was mad that he had taken her on this kind of this railroaded trip and I was like no 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 no. calm down calm down because this is him saying I need help Whether he's brought you somewhere unsavory, he's actually asking for help, or at the very least, he's starting to say to you, I have a problem. If it's enough that he got you in the car to drive you somewhere, knowing good and well that you're going to realize that this is not a methadone clinic, he's actually admitting to you that he has a problem. And I know this is very allies in recovery and very craft. Now we've got to pull the most positive pieces out of this situation that we possibly can. And the positive piece is he's actually telling you and admitting I have a problem. So it's like, no, get in there, sit down with him and say, I clearly know what's going on here. And why don't we just go home and start calling a methadone clinic right now? Let's get you set up within an appointment and then work from there. Hopefully you can get an appointment right away if you can't, and it's going to be a couple of days that you may be a little bit anxious because we all know when someone's asking for help or agreeing to help, four days from now, the situation might change and they might refuse it. So you may set up an appointment and then they refuse to go, but you got to take the positive out of that. They agreed to go. They agreed to go. So don't get angry, get in there and say, okay, okay, you're not going this time, but you know that there is options for you. And when you're ready, I'll do what I can to try and help get you an appointment as soon as possible. So I'm here. And when I say like this multi-pronged approach, there's also a whole bunch of other things that the family member can be doing, like starting to introduce alternate or replacement activities with the loved one. Think about what do they enjoy? What do they like to do? Do they like to play an instrument? Have a sing along with the family just for a half an hour in the evening. Hey, get your guitar out. Why don't you play the guitar for a little while? Maybe your loved one likes to swim hey, let's go down to the YMCA and let's do a little bit of swimming this morning. You want to come with me? Replacement activities. So healthy replacement activities where you're not talking about addiction. You're not working on, you know, you've got problems and you've got to figure this out and you get, nope, I'm looking forward to getting into the pool. How about you? We haven't been in a while. Come on. You know, and even if your loved one brings it up, say, Yeah, I want to hear you. We can talk about it on the ride if you'd like. And then just say, Come on, let's just get in the pool and forget about everything for a little while. You're building on your relationship. There's just so many things that you can do in the meantime as you're navigating the system that's going to help direct your loved one into, and I'm going to say this, into working on their recovery because recovery is different than treatment. Recovery is them working on themselves to improve on their situation in any form, in any shape, and you can help encourage that.
2: So I would say that recovery is about getting a life and finding meaning and getting yourself back because if you're in the depths of any kind of substance use, like any intense substance use, you've lost pieces of yourself. It's like, you don't take care of yourself, you don't enjoy anything but using, your relationships have gone to hell, you don't have anything that gives you kind of a north star of meaning for yourself. And what we're talking about is is helping the person get little pieces of themselves back. So what Lori's saying is like, if they like playing an instrument, then how do you get that back? And, you know, we were just talking about this in the group the other day that this mother was like, I'm trying to do things that I know he likes, not that I necessarily like, and so, she's becoming more informed of the stuff that he likes and she's bringing the stuff up. And my daughter is a great example of it. She doesn't like pretty much anything I do, but she loves to shop. And I have to like swallow my lack of desire to shop. And if she says, oh, do you want to go to TJ Maxx? I have to say yes. (laughs) And instead of doing my usual of sitting outside, I'm going in. Then that's what this requires is like, you're doing the things that they want to do and you're suggesting things that you know that they like because that's part of what allows them to remember that they're actually a person. Because I think that when you're in the depths of addiction, you feel like you're not actually human. You lose your humanity. You use your sense of self. You feel like you're worth nothing. You have nothing in common with anybody unless they're using. And so what we're doing is bringing them back into this You're part of the world. You're part of our life. You're part of this family. You're somebody I care about. And that is treatment because nobody thinks of that as treatment. It's fascinating to me that people think it's about going someplace and talking to somebody. But if they're talking to you, that's treatment. If they're engaging with you, that's treatment. If they feel cared about by you, not in the way that we do it where it's like, did you do this? Are you okay? That's not what I'm talking about. It's more this kind of stepping back and engaging in a much more open way, a much more curious way, and also connecting with them in a way that it's small ways of being alive and and being a person. It's helping the
1: individual to realize that they have purpose and meaning, that they are not just addiction. And I'm gonna say this because I do feel like my response to my son's addiction early on the journey I didn't realize that I was actually possibly making it worse because I was so focused on the negative things that he was doing that I couldn't see the positive things that I could utilize, the good things about him or the you know the good characteristics or the things that he liked, or he does have purpose and meaning outside of addiction. He's not just addiction. He's a brother. He's a son. Now he's a husband. He's a person. He's an individual. And so when someone is struggling with addiction, like you like you said, Kayla, they've lost parts of themselves. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to spend a lot of time trying to help them find those pieces again.
0: It's such an interesting conversation on so many levels. There's a question this morning that we're going to tackle in our discussion blog, but it really hits home this point on a very practical level, which is the family is trying to address their eldest son's issues. And it had been opioids and he got on to methadone. And about seven months later, he started relapsing. He had recurrences, excuse me, but not with opioids because the methadone was effective against that but alcohol, cocaine, and pot. And they're so angry, they're so flipped out because partly the the reoccurrence, but also the part that he's on methadone means that he couldn't go on vacation with them because you can't transfer your, your daily methadone dosing to another clinic in any short time, but you can do that. But it's a process in a, in a methadone clinic to get the dosage somewhere else. So all they can see is how terrible the situation is. He didn't use opioids. He's still on his methadone. If he's not doing anything other than the methadone, then the family has to really step in the way we're describing to create the positive, the honest communication, the connection, the warmth, the insight building, the responsibility taking. I mean, there's just a whole way of being around this young man that could promote his willingness to do more than just methadone, which obviously is needed if, if methadone alone isn't cutting it. And I've been on methadone a couple of times. I can tell you, I've been where he is. And you know, at one point I would have snorted the little white things in the carpet. I was desperate to get high and I knew opioids wasn't the choice. And so I was trying things I'd never tried before. It's part of what happens when you get on medication for opioid addiction same with alcohol, because I've been on naltrexon and Antibus for alcohol, I can tell you, you feel like you don't know where to put yourself because there's a whole world of recovery that goes well beyond just quieting the craving for the drug or, or the alcohol. And this part is pre-treatment. You are there, you're home, you're, you're in communication with them. What you do is part of the recovery process. And I would argue, just because I'm, this is in my head, I'm looking at funding all week, the Department of Health and Human Services doesn't fund the family work. You have to have a loved one that's in the services of a, a Department of Health and Human Service program to be counted and to be funded. So there is no funding for these kinds of family programs and yet pretreatment, and I mean decades sometimes, 10, 13 years, of trying to understand this and trying to do it differently. When you come upon CRAFT, as I did in 2002, I went, oh, my God, they figured it out, what a family can do, what works, where the guardrails are. And we have taken this so far in 20 years, so far, that we have a conversation like this into what is treatment and what is the recovery journey and where does it begin? How early can it begin? Can it begin with you? In the day and it absolutely can it's an amazing program and we're working hard to get it state funded wherever we can for private people right now your option is to pay 159 dollars for six months into our programming that provides all the e-learning it provides everything the e-learning the tailored answers to questions in the discussion blog like i just described You have us, you have 16 hours of live programming every week in different skills groups, craft groups, emotional support groups infused with craft. I mean, I think we've done with this podcast, a good job of really laying out the potential of the craft approach after 20 years of doing it in a way that nobody else had ever imagined it could be taken.
2: And I just wanna say as an addiction professional who's been doing this for many, many, many years, I think most of us started out with this black and white thinking, you're either using or you're in recovery, you're either in or you're out, you're doing well or you're not. And the one thing that I have absolutely shifted is into the land of the gray and the ambiguity of things because everything counts, everything. And that's part of what we're talking about here when it comes to both recovery and treatment and pre-treatment, which is that any step towards progress, any step towards change, any opening, any positive interaction, any kind of engagement in your life counts. All of it is positive. And what we're saying is focus on that because as you start to pay attention to those things microscopically and not judge it as not good enough, then what happens is it actually accumulates. It's like you're building a structure and the structure starts off in tiny, tiny, tiny little burst of positive moments. And the more you notice them, the larger they get. Ironically, it's actually in the big book. There's the Dr. Alcoholic Addict section. And it talks about how when he was using, everything was terrible and his wife was awful and everything she did was wrong. And he actually realized when he got clean that he was, everything that he perceived was actually affecting how he acted. So what we're talking about is start perceiving the positive, start noticing it, start watching for it both with yourself and your loved one and your family. And then the more you feed that positive system, the more the person starts feeling some breathing room for actually being able to engage in a positive way because they're already beating themselves up. They do not need to have you do that. And your energy of positivity is such a big deal. And I'm not saying to do this if their behavior is awful, but what you're going to be doing is noticing what they're doing well, even if it doesn't count in the past. So, for example, in Laurie's example of when he said, you know, I want to go to the methadone program, the reason that we're saying this is a good thing, even if he winds up copping on the street, is he said something about wanting help. So that's what the part that you're gonna feed, not what happens, but that thought. And it's like, you're not gonna make a big deal out of it because then actually it becomes about you and not about them, but it's like, oh. So if you're if you're interested in methadone, there's also and I've been studying on this. If you wanna talk about that, I think that's great. Period, stop talking, okay? Because what winds up happening is people keep talking and then your loved one is gone. You got two seconds to speak and then stop talking. <laughs>
1: Oh, and and oftentimes when family members find themselves in a situation like that, they're just angry that their loved one put them in this spot, and that's all that they can focus on. And they cannot see that, oh, my gosh, this is a moment when my loved one, I know they dragged me into a tough situation, but this is the first time I'm noticing that they are actually clearly showing me that they are aware that they have a problem. And that is a positive step. That is what you want to hone in on. And what I heard Dominique say, which I find very interesting, is Dominique, when she talked about being on methadone, but then reaching and starting to use other substances, to me, that's replacement behavior. That's like, yes, I don't crave the opioid anymore, but I still crave or I still want to engage in some kind of an activity that's going to reduce the difficulties of not having the behavior when I was using. So yeah, I won't use the opioid, but I'll use cocaine or I'll use alcohol. And that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about replacement behavior, we're talking about, okay, people love to play sports people love music people like to exercise people like to go to the movies so help replace the using behaviors with other behaviors that the loved one enjoys and they'll be less likely to not saying they're going to stop but you may reduce the amount of use and this is a craft tactic this is a craft strategy is to add in replacement behaviors and replacement activities. And it's a wonderful thing to do because if you think about it, it's just mushrooms, right? It's like, oh, that's right. I love playing basketball. I think, you know what? Three times out of the week this week, you know, my son asked me to shoot hoops. Yay, this is a positive thing. This is a way to kind of redirect, which is what I think you were saying, Dominique. The other thing I want to talk about is, we have to get crafty, and that's, that's a bit of a pun, but we have to get crafty with our strategies, so we have to utilize everything. So when we're talking about navigating the system, we're talking about if your loved one is court-involved, you want to navigate that system as positively as you possibly can. Don't be afraid to go to a lawyer and say, hey, I got this program. Do you think you could introduce it to my loved one and see if they'll do it with this idea that maybe the judge will be a little bit more forgiving or will kind of postpone things if they go through this program? Or we've got to be very strategic. Don't worry, Uh, don't forget, there is recovery coaches out there. We don't tap into them enough Recovery coaches, people don't know what they are. They don't know that they even exist. But there are coaches in Rhode Island, there are called certified peer recovery specialists. And they're people with lived experience that will jump through hoops. They will do anything they can to try and help a loved one into recovery. Think about that. Look up your local recovery organizations. Look up the certifying body. But there's actually a lot of resources that one families aren't aware of, and then two, uh, we don't tap into enough.
0: Right, and the right peer specialist will also help you, the family. And this is this is something nobody thinks about. But these recovery community organizations, RCOs, are all over the country, and a family member can call in. I call in on behalf of family members when I'm digging out treatment, and I'm going, okay, what's good, what's not good. What do you have and who do you have? And can you help me manage getting my loved one into one of these programs or to connect with your suggestion of a peer recovery coach for my loved one? And they will talk to you as the family and you desperately need their information, their intuition, their their instinct around treatment locally for someone because that's all they do is manage the ins and outs, right? Follow the person, stick with them and you can use them to a certain degree as the family member when your loved one won't talk to anybody or do anything or, you know, but all of that very resistant stuff that I know you've seen, you can use them. And I suggest this all the time, but nobody else does this, but it's a great place to learn about treatment, but it's also a great place to get help to get them into treatment. So oh, he has got an infected foot, Oh, it's not handicapped accessible. Oh, you know, you're gonna have to wait three weeks. And if he goes across the street to rehab for his foot, that's another six weeks wait because they're on vacation. It's like, this is the work of figuring out treatment. And so these recovery coaches can really, really be helpful.
1: Okay. So before we have Kayla kind of wrap us all up, I just want to say one thing to all of our listeners out there. I know sometimes we slip on our language. So (laughs) I'm just going to say, we typically we're at Allies in Recovery trying to change the language that we use to try and destigmatize substance use disorder, but sometimes we slip as well. So just to let everybody know, we're trying to not use the word clean and not use the word sober because they happen to be stigmatizing. And so we use instead, we try and say like um, a person is actively using or they're working on their recovery or a recovery home. And um, maybe we say uh, not using anymore or testing negative, testing positive, just kind of throwing that out there. Kayla, can you kind of wrap it up for us?
2: So I'm going to start with what you just said, which is that this is progress versus perfection, (laughs) which is we have this vision about what we want to do. We have the values that we're trying to make happen, but we have to change over time. Nothing happens quickly. And I feel like that's what we're talking about here is that we know what we want, which is we want our loved ones to heal, to get better, to feel good, to get their life back. And That to me is the definition of recovery, which is that you're taking your life back over time. And what we're saying here is that there are many ways to get there and the less black and white you are in terms of your thinking, like good and bad, this is working, this is not working. And if you could start noticing what's good, if you could start working on the more subtleties of the relationship, which is having open communication and engaging with the person differently and having treatment Thinking about treatment as the way you're engaging with the person and also how you're helping the person learn what they like again and introducing the things that they enjoy back into their lives and you being part of that joy and not just being part of that criticism and the negativity, so that what you're becoming is a positive force in their life, noticing what they're doing right, engaging with them in a way that feels good to them, and creating this kind of openness so that when they are making shifts, that relationship is more solid to help them get into a different kind of program if they're interested in it, but you're also ready for it. Thank you, ladies.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for AIR spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.